My name is Mimi Bouchard, and I'm a personal development junkie that is here to help you transform your life so that you can truly tap into your ultimate potential. I'm a meditation teacher and a podcaster, and in this podcast, I am raw, I am real, and I share everything I possibly can to make this journey of self-discovery and transformation easier for you. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Today, I am here with the one and only Gabby Bernstein. Gabby is a spiritual guru, a New York Times bestselling author of eight books. And nine. she is nine. Oh, nine. <laughs> Girl, you got to update your website. It still says eight. Well, we're redoing the whole site. Oh, so, you are. Okay. You know, copy schmoppy. You know, we'll get copy. There. <laughs> so nine, almost 10 books. That's crazy. I'm working on my 10th right now. Isn't that cool? That's going to be a big one. The number 10, I think that's, that's really awesome. So yeah, Gabby, I'm so happy to have you on. I can't wait to chat with you and and pick your brain about all things. I feel like we're very aligned um, with a lot. I obviously own a meditation app. I'm very into this kind of stuff as well. And I've loved, you know, reading about you and hearing about you. And I'm so grateful that you guys sent over your new book. I have it here and I can't wait to, uh, to get into it. So I don't even want to start with you going over your story. Cause I feel like a lot of people listening already know your story. You've been in this industry for so long and, you know, you really did trailblaze this path into spirituality and, and for a lot of people out there to make it more normalized. So the first question I want to ask you, and this is something I know you speak about in your book, but why do you think most people are unhappy in their lives? Why, why do you think most people struggle? It should be natural to feel good, right? But why do you think most people struggle in their lives? <clears throat> well, our natural nature is to feel good. <clears throat> Yeah. But I really believe that we all have these experiences at a very young age that create a inner belief system that things are scary, that we have to be protective of ourselves. I'm talking young, young age. We start to build up these, these fear-based, maybe even traumatized moments, maybe small T trauma of just feeling inadequate or unlovable or not seen. And all those experiences start to build up a belief system of being unlovable and inadequate. And we live our lives doing whatever we can to ever have to avoid feeling those feelings again. And so the core wound is the reason for our unhappiness and all of the protection mechanisms that we've built up around ourselves to avoid that core wound are the reasons we stay stuck in the pattern of not being happy. So the fear-based experiences from our childhood create a belief system that then becomes what we run from for decades and sometimes a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And what is the most impactful thing someone that is in that I guess, square one, like they're just starting on this journey and they've just discovered your work um, or they've just stumbled upon this podcast and they they don't even know where to start, but they just want to start feeling better right away. What do you think one of the most pivotal things they could do is? Is it a habit or an action, just something actionable for someone that is feeling stuck and unhappy? I think that if you've been feeling stuck and unhappy and you're listening to this episode right now, then you've begun to do something. You've opened your awareness to creative possibilities for a different way of living. The thing to carry on doing is to wake up every single day in that willingness. So maybe it's a prayer. Maybe it's, I'm willing to feel better. 
Yeah. Or it's a, it's a, if, if you don't like prayer, if that's not your language, it could just be an affirmation. I am willing to feel better. That willingness is a invisible door that opens. When we have that willingness, we start to open up our conscious awareness to all the different ways that we can receive help, whether it be one of my nine books on self-help and spiritual growth or your podcast or your app or my app or whatever the, or, or Oprah or Deepak or D Jay Shetty, whoever you are guided to. There are beautiful spiritual teachers. There's great therapists. There's so many people in the world offering free and, and <clears throat> effective support. Yeah. And it's when we open up our awareness to receive that guidance, that's when it starts to show up very synchronistically in our life. Like a book will fall off the shelf or you'll start listening to this episode and you're like, I don't even know how I got there. And it's, 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 that's when the universe has your back. I love that. And it's really those synchronicities that, that remind you that this is all the truth. And I remember early on in my journey, when I would align myself with the energy of what I desired, I would start seeing things fall into place. Like for example, that book fall onto my lap or that weird opportunity come up in a way that shouldn't have happened. And that kept me going. So I'd love to know for you, if you remember, like what were some of the first synchronicities that you experienced in your life that made you really believe in this work? Well, <clears throat> first off, I started as a teacher, a spiritual teacher, when I was early in my sobriety, I got sober at 25. Yeah. But it was the moment that I got sober, the day I got sober, that was the big catalyst uh, and a major moment of guidance. Yeah. I was 25 years old. I had been running a PR business and I was a cocaine addict. And I hit my knees and I finally on October 2nd of 2005 just surrendered. And I said a prayer without realizing it. I need a miracle. I need help. And I heard an audible voice, a voice internally and externally that said, get sober and you will live a life beyond your wildest dreams. And it wasn't uncommon for me to have these kinds of spiritual interventions in my life. It was something that I was accustomed to, but this was the loudest I'd ever experienced. And that began a journey of listening, staying willing and listening, staying willing and listening. That type of willingness to be open to a guidance beyond my own will is what has allowed me to really allow my life to be led, to let intuition be my guide, to trust that I'm not alone in this journey, to feel a great level of support. And when you notice those moments of synchronicity, that's just spiritual realm showing you, Hey, you've got love. You've got support here. You've got guidance here. You're not alone. And for me, that's my experience, but for your listeners, maybe it's just not so, not so heady. Maybe it's just, okay. I decided that I wanted to change. And when I made that commitment to myself, all these resources started to come into my lap. Or when I made the commitment to finally set that boundary all these bad relationships started to get cleared, you know? So it's, it's, it's making the decision first, which is a prayer and then showing up for that guidance that you receive, because you're going to have a lot of moments where that guidance is revealed to you, that synchronistic moment, that books falls off the shelf, that article tells you a story that you needed to hear. The podcast reveals something new, but then it's your job to just carry out 
the next step and the next step and the next step. Right. I, my favorite way of explaining the, the, the term manifestation or creating your dream life. And this is really the basis of my work is you must first become the kind of person that has what you want before having it. And you must know and be aware of what you desire, but not just want it, become it. I'd love to know for you what that looked like. Like, obviously you are, you are your one of a version of your ultimate self. I I don't know you very well, so I'm not sure if you are completely your ultimate self in this very moment, but it obviously from, you know, your history and how much you've done in this work, you are absolutely evolved. Like, how did that look like from being the old self to being the future self? How does that feel different? And did you have to let go of resistance to simply become, or was it work? Well, I think that one of the great virtues personally has been my willingness to accept myself along the way. So there are, in my latest book, Happy Days, I really tell a big story of being a spiritual teacher for dec- over a decade and struggling with PTSD and unresolved anxiety and an anxiety disorder and physical issues and and remembering trauma and dissociated memories and really tough stuff. And in that conversation and in that storyline, there's so much grace along the way. There's so much spirit along the way. There's so much growth along the way. And I think that had I not been willing to accept where I was in the midst of my greatest struggles, I wouldn't have been able to carry on and keep moving forward. So when we get into this storyline of I've got to be there, that's when we actually block the journey to getting there. So in my case, I have been, whether I realize it or not, pretty accepting of the moment. And in that level of acceptance, I was willing to do whatever it took to get closer to consciousness. And that meant deep dive trauma therapy. That meant spiritual evolution. That meant commitment to my own personal growth and development, which also meant commitment to my readers. And, you know, I still have therapy every Wednesday. I still practice what I preach. I am now getting trained in the therapeutic model that I've used for over a decade in my own therapy. That desire to be free is still in me, even though I do believe that what you see in me, this this reflection, I, I do, I'm grateful that you reflected back to me of, oh, you feel like you're really grounded and you're in a good place. I am. And I still do the work because you can't just add up those steps and grow and grow and grow and then be like, I got, you know, <laughs> like, no, it's a, it's a lifelong journey and it's a privilege to be able to be on that journey. Absolutely. And I I love that. I love that you you still commit to going to therapy every week. Are there other weekly or daily practices that you commit to when it comes to your evolution and your growth and maintaining the person that you are today? Are there some non-negotiables for you? And if so, I'd love to hear them. Non-negotiables. Yeah. Uh, Sleep is a non-negotiable. Good sleep. That means, you know, moving my phone out of my room. And it was funny. I, uh, I'm, I'm good friends with, I'm, I'm very friendly with Ariana Huffington. And I, one of the things I admire most about her is her commitment to teaching people how to sleep and sleep without their phones. And she actually just posted something. There's one stupid thing that a lot of smart people do and it's sleep with their phone. And I said, you know, boom, Ariana, thank you for that. So I, I, I think that my sleep hygiene is a high priority. My 
meditation practice daily was a very high priority because I meditate now under red light because it, I have a red light that, you know, it's really good for inflammation and your skin. And I put it over my head, but it also really relaxes my system. So that red light meditation is just super soothing. I listen to binaural music, which is really helpful to open up your window of tolerance to just process things while you're meditating. And I'm under the red light and it's just, it's just an, it's just sort of an, an elevated version of my original meditation. So now I'm just kind of like biohacking my meditation, but it's, it's good. It works and it's deepening it. And so I think for us, anyone that's a meditator, it's, it's finding that practice that's, that's, that's evolving because, you know, in, in my, in my community, I offer hundreds of hours of meditations and there's like even folks on my team, for instance, were you know building out my membership into a really beautiful platform. And it's my my one of my team members who's like really handles a lot of the content. She's like, I still listen to one of your meditations from you know 2005, where you probably recorded it in the bathtub, and that's what I listen to every single day because that's what that's what helps her get in. That's what helps her get grounded. So we're all going to evolve or maybe stay in the grounded path that we're on. For me, my meditation practice is, is always sort of elevated in different ways, depending on what my nervous system needs at that time. Right. That's a big one. And then the biggest is, is, um, when I'm, I, I, my, my newest training is in internal family systems therapy, which is known as IFS. And the brief synopsis is that we have a lot of parts of who we are, which is our inner family, our child parts, our protector parts. And these are, the little personalities that live inside of us that show up when we're triggered or show up when we feel extreme feelings. But we also have self, which is in spiritual language could be like God or higher self or universe. But the self within us is the undamaged resource part of who we are. And the more I practice internal family systems and use the methods, which I'll be writing about and teaching about. And on my podcast, I have a lot of uh, episodes on IFS which we can't get into fully here, but I, I can send people to to listen to more. But when I practice that practice, I've developed such a strong connection to self, which is really the internal parent. So when I notice myself overly caffeinated and like blabbing, or I notice myself activated and triggered, or I notice myself feeling like self-judgment, I don't have to get stuck in that loop. Instead, I can return to self. I have a inner dialogue, an inner mentor that can regulate my child parts, the activated parts in the moment. Now, for someone who's like not heard about this before, it's me like, wow, that's that's wild. That sounds crazy. Like, or is that just some spiritual mumbo jumbo or therapeutic mumbo jumbo? It's actually the most transformational experience I've ever had in my life. And it actually is what my 10th book will be about. Um, but, but what, but just to sort of really ground it for your read, for your listeners is I have, I notice, I can notice in my body, oh, there's something up or I notice in my behavior or my breath or my physical sensations, there's a activated part of me right now. And if I have enough awareness, I can say, I need help right now. And then my self energy can help myself can say, you did the best you could right there. And have a lot of compassion for yourself. For myself, can say, uh, "Okay, you're super caffeinated. Just you know, be clear about what's going on, so you're not going to scare this person that's sitting next." You know, so self can be the leader in the room rather than those triggered parts. And a lot of people, most people, live from like activated trigger part to trigger part. 
most of the time. I, I love the way you're describing this. It kind of reminds me of when I connect with my future self or higher self, I call it that self that you connect with. Is that your higher self that you that you speak of and you connect with your higher self when you're trying to determine what to do in a situation or, or to come back, you know, to yeah. who you want to be? You know that self energy, your, you know, spirit energy, your undamaged internal parent is with you when you start to connect to some of these eight C qualities that IFS talks about. So compassion, if you start to feel compassion towards yourself and your, you know, how you acted or whatever, creativity, the creative ideas, the connection, if you're feeling connected to the part of you that kind of got activated, right? Or connected in general. Yeah. Um, calm. So you're in your breathing. Uh, you've got uh, courage. You've got all these qualities of that commitment to yourself, that clarity of what it is that you need in that moment. And when those C qualities start to show up in your system, like when I, in, in your inner dialogue, like, like example, I had a big blowout fight with a friend a few days ago and I was absolutely in the right. Okay. And I was laying out all the reasons why I felt like I was being gaslight, you know, gaslit by her, right? And I was just like, step one, step two, step three. And I was really just laying out, creating a really clear boundary for what I'm willing to show up for in this in this relationship or any relationship. And there was a part of me that was also really mad and angry and like defensive. And then there was the clear boundary part, right? And then I ended the conversation and I was like, oh, I should have been more grounded and more calm and and a little bit more uh, just just like compassionate, even though she was wrong and all that. And that the answer is yes. Like my ideal future vision would be like, let, let's try to do that a little differently. But my but when I was in that feeling of like a little bit of guilt and shame about like the way that I delivered the message, self, the voice of my higher self came through and said, no, girl, you did an excellent job creating a boundary. You know, a lot of uh, creative connection, right? Creating a connection with that part of me that felt the shame. You did a really great job creating a boundary. You're practicing a new behavior. Okay. We noticed that some activated parts came through, but we can let them know that they can be a little softer next time. And you should be really proud of yourself because you, you, you really did something different today. And so that compassion, that connection, that clarity of like, oh, we can let them settle next time. That ability to calm myself down in the moment, that was self energy coming in and saying, don't go into a shame spiral. No, 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 no. Let's celebrate what worked. Let's notice what we want to change next time. And let's honor the parts of you that came up to, to fight back because that's what needed to be there in the moment so that you could really create that boundary. And yes, could you do it more calmly next time? Sure. But this was the best you could do today. And so that that is an exact internal conversation that happened for me the hour, two hours after that, that sort of outburst of fight. Woke up in the morning and was like, I feel fucking great. Like I created a boundary. Maybe I would have been a little calmer next time if I could do it better. But my, you know, but I, I'm I'm in forward momentum, and I'm proud of myself. Good. That's that's a great example, and 
it just shows that, you know, as much work as we all do on ourselves, there's always something um, that we can work on. And that leads me to my next question for you. What are some of the things, and I know you're so honest with your audience and, you know, all the books that you've written are just parts of you and your soul and your, your raw honesty. What are some of the things that you're currently trying to work on within yourself? I'm currently trying to acquire, or not even acquire because it's there, but live and lead from more and more of that self-energy. So when I'm in a argument with my husband and he's in his activated part, that's like, I want to, you know, prove you wrong. And I'm in my, my defensive part. I want to be able to have enough of that self-energy and that self-connection to diffuse those moments more and more and more and more so that eventually the self-voice, the voice of that that undamaged, empowered presence is the loudest voice in the room. Right. Yeah, that's a great one for sure. And how do you stay consistent with that? Is it you know, reminders in your phone or just you just have to tap into it when you're when you're noticing you're out of alignment, coming back to self? Do you have any like tools that you use or it's just you remembering it? Well, it's definitely a practice. And I have been practicing this model in my own therapy for a decade. And then in my training, like getting the level one and going on to level two training in this therapeutic model, I have actually deepened my practice of it. But one way I'm going to, my work with this model is to demystify it, bring it outside of the therapy room into the reader's hands so that individuals can use this in real time. And so one way that you could start to dialogue with your inner self is to do what three steps, notice, know, and need. So in the moment when you feel super activated or you feel guilty or you feel triggered or you feel out of sorts and you have enough awareness to, to not be stuck in that. Notice where it is in your body. Notice if it has a shape. Notice if it has a color. Notice what you notice about it. And then flesh it out more. What do you know about it? Is it young? Is it, does it have a gender? Does it have an image or a storyline that it wants to share with you? And then once you feel like you have a connection to that, that part of you that's activated, ask the part of you what, you, what it needs. What do you need right now? Right. And usually when you ask it what it needs, it'll be like, I need to relax or I need to play or I need to... Just, just have some fun. And those are, it's, it's kind of like a truncated version of this therapeutic interview that happens when you do IFS. And I don't want to dumb it down, but I, I do want to offer up that if you do take a moment to notice what's going on in your body, and then you get to know what's going on internally, or there's a storyline, and then you ask it, literally speak to that feeling and that experience as a part of you you give it the respect to be seen, so much shift can occur for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's, that's really impactful. Um, okay. So we have 10 minutes left. I would love to ask a few questions that we actually had from the listeners, um, if that's okay with you. Oh yeah. I love a dear Gabby moment. <laughs> <laughs> What's your morning routine? What is Gabby Bernstein's morning routine? Well, it's very different than it was four years ago when I didn't have a toddler. So uh, I get at this exact moment in time, and it really depends on what stage of sleep development my child is in. I'm currently getting woken up at 5.17 on the dot, 5.17, because his his clock is like, oh my God, 5.17, mommy, mommy. And 
I then negotiate with him for a little while to keep playing, but the last two weeks, it's not really been the case. So I'll tell you really where I am right here, right now. So, okay, I'm going to get up with this kid, this kid. Uh, he wants a smoothie. He wants to play soccer in the basement. He's extraordinary at soccer. Like I, wow. I literally, I've like birthed David Beckham. Like my child is, he's a, he's, it's, it's pretty, it's unbelievable. And I'm going to brag about it. Wow. But you know, yeah. And he, I have to be careful how much I brag about him in front of him, but um, he's extraordinary at soccer. And all he wants to do all day is like watch soccer videos, play soccer in the basement. He's four. He's almost four. He's three, like three, four in two months. So, um, so I will nurture that and I'll take my red light and he knows now you take, I got my mommy needs to sleep more. He says, sleep in the basement. <laughs> so we'll go down to his playroom in the basement, which is really just a soccer station. I'll put my red line on He'll, he'll play his soccer video while he will play soccer with the video, like mimicking it. And I do my 15 minute red light meditation, which is all I can do in that moment. Cause I'm a mom and I got a kid that's like, get me out of here. And he's thirsty and he wants to play soccer. And so where I am working on like the, there's some sleep training things you can do to keep them in the room longer and, you know, just help them take care of themselves in the morning, but we're not there yet. But I do still get that meditative space, even though it's not an ideal meditation. I am using that time with my child who is old enough to hang with his soccer ball. And I will lie down on the sofa and say, mommy's going to be uninterrupted for 15 minutes. I'll put my headphones on. I'll put my red light on and just hope he doesn't kick the soccer ball into the red light. So that's, that's wake so up before time. Before coffee, before anything, you go and do your meditation with your red light. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Immediately. Mm-hmm. And I might have a coffee in a mug that's downstairs ready to go when I wake up from the meditation. Right. Love it. Coffee is coffee is part of my morning routine. Yes. Um, and then, you know, I drive my kid to school and we listen to Lady Gaga and that's his favorite music. And um, he every day reminds me, I need to go to this concert, mommy. And so somehow I have to manifest Lady Gaga tickets for a four-year-old. Um, and that's definitely in my future. I'm going to be Gaga for Halloween because that's his idol. Yeah, he's That's amazing. He's in love with her. We go to sleep every night holding hands and we listen to Hold My Hand, her song. And he's like clutching my hand. He's like, play hold my hand, mommy. And he's like holding my, hold my hand. It's like the cutest thing in the world. I would, I, I have, I have a tremendous level of respect for toddlers. And um, I've done a lot of work to understand the child psychology of what they're experiencing. And it's a big part of my, my commitment to humans is to help toddlers. <laughs> oh, I love that. So I, I don't have children yet, but when it comes to parenting, do you have a specific style? I'm seeing yeah. everywhere online, gentle parenting or Montessori or all these different mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. What do you practice? My son's in a Montessori school and I practice um, positive discipline, which is like really rooted in his school's model. And it's really about letting the child lead, letting really honoring their feelings and emotions. I'm also a big fan and friend of uh, Dr. Dan Siegel, and he does a lot of work on the whole brain child. And all of it has an intersection. Even Dr. Becky is a good friend of mine. She does the good inside method is her method, but it's all really based on the method of letting the child feel seen and soothed and safe and allowing their feelings to be expressed completely so that they are not shamed at three years old for having a tantrum, but instead can co-regulate with your calm energy and get back to center and then tell you what was really going on for them. Usually when you come out of a tantrum, they're like, I just wanted you to pay attention to me. You know, something that's just so honest and blunt. It's unbelievable. 
Totally. It's so crazy because this was obviously so long ago, but I actually have memories from my childhood. I had a very beautiful childhood. Can't complain, but I have memories of, you know, being in my crib and crying and and not being answered to sometimes my parents use the method, like sometimes the cry out, cry it out. Yeah. And I like have trauma from it still. (laughs) No, I I think that's, I I do too. I actually have visual, I have like visceral memories of like standing up in the crib. Yeah. I understand that completely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for those parents out there that are listening, it, you know, cry it out does work, but there's a gentle cry it out, which is like returning every 10 minutes. And because you allow the child to learn how to self-soothe, but you still let them know that you're there. So quickly going back to the morning routine thing, just to wrap it up. So you do your meditation um, with your little toddler running around with a soccer ball. And then do you journal at all? Do you, and you're sitting with your coffee, do you have, like, do you not look at your phone for 30 minutes? Like what is, like, do you do any? I don't really look at my phone in the morning. No, I, um, I really don't because I've got his attention and I'm met doing that meditation. And then you know, I get him ready for school and I drive him to school, listening to Gaga. And then on my way back, I'm going to tell you the truth. On my way back from the drive from school, I listened to NPR politics hour, which was not sounding very meditative, but I really like to be in tune with what's going on in the world. And then I get to my desk. I have two kittens and they're like getting to be a little big now, but they come sit next to me at my desk. And I will typically start my day. And then around noon is when I'll do a deep meditation I lie on a PMF mat, which is like, again, another like biohacking meditation thing, but it's just ground, any, whatever grounds you, you know? And so for this meditation, I'm lying down and my cats are cr- like circling me and I do about a half hour of, again, binaural music. And then um, exercises usually in there some mornings, some afternoons. And um, that's kind of, but then I'm, I'm, I'm always connecting, I'm always connecting to self all day. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's do another listener question. Okay. How do you stop being so judgmental about other people when you're on this journey? Well, let's get this person's phone number and address and, or just really address. And I'll send them a copy of my book, Judgment Detox. It is a six step process on how to release judgment. And it's a book that I wrote that I think needs a comeback because it should have had a different title in retrospect, because I kind of needed to like show people like, this is going to like, this like it should have been called like life changer, you know, <laughs> like, because who wants to do a judgment detox, but like, but, but there is such a major promise and the readers that I meet that are like, oh, I did judgment detox. I'm like, you are hardcore. Like you're the real reader right there. You know, like yeah. you, you wanted to go deep and you wanted to do that. So uh, I'd love to give them this book because it's a six step process of really witnessing your judgment without judgment and honoring the wounds that live beneath the judgment so that you can then start to respect why it's there and then begin to experience yourself and others through the lens of love rather than the lens of fear. Mm-hmm. And that isn't really answering the question, but this to answer her right here, right now is to step one is witness your judgment without judgment. So start to just be the witness of the ways that your judgment starts to creep in. Just notice what you notice. Don't push yourself around. Okay. That's really a good action point. Okay. The last one, which was an interesting one, something along the lines of how much is your energy dictated by your thoughts versus the food you eat? Like how much is food really? Because a lot of people in the spiritual community, you know, they eat super clean and it's part of how it connects them. But then other people that I study also say that like food doesn't matter. It's just about energy in your mind. Um, Hmm. What do you think? What's your philosophy when it comes to- I definitely think that 
the mind is the more important thing, the the belief systems, the feelings, the ability to self-soothe, because I've lived in a way where I was like really, really strict about my diet, but I was also because I had to be because my stomach was really messed up for decades. And I was super, super living in hypervigilance and PTSD and unresolved trauma that I didn't know about. So without that healing, no matter how clean my diet was, I still had gastro issues. Now, as a result of doing that deep trauma healing, I can pretty much eat anything and I, I eat anything and I have a great digestive tract. But when I eat the way I eat, which is no sugar, no gluten, very little dairy, I haven't had a drink in 17 years, like absolutely, that's just almost like the elevating my experience and keeping my temple clean and really making me have that, you know, of course, greater energy, thinking about how supplements and food might affect my, my nervous system. And so, yes, I think it's additive, it's enhancing, but you could do all the right things with your food, everything, best cleanses, best, best products, best qualities, but be in a state of hyperarousal and unresolved trauma and never heal the underlying root cause condition. So I believe that physical issues are psychosomatic conditions, but in the same breath, I would say, okay, you're having the psychosomatic issue. You're in trauma, you're in fight or flight. You're not healed yet. What could you do right here, right now? Yeah, definitely clean up your diet because getting rid of the gluten will create less inflammation and getting rid of the, you know, getting rid of the dairy, all the sugar, all of that may make you less anxious. No caffeine will make you less anxious. Not being hungover will make you feel better. So all those food related things are going to absolutely help you in that real time moment, but you will continue to come back to the same chronic pain or chronic gastro issues or headaches or skin conditions. If you don't resolve the root cause condition, which is the trauma. And that, that is a whole chapter about that in my book, Happy Days, about the work of Dr. John Sarno and the, the somatic experiencing work, which is really based on the premise that what our impermissible rage and our impermissible terror and unresolved wounds are actually creating all the inflammatory responses in our body. And so it's both, right? It's both. Mm-hmm. Food is a tool. Food is a is a way of shining the crystal. But if you don't heal the real reason why your nervous system is so fucked up, then you're not going to actually heal your stomach or you're not going to heal your back or you're not going to heal your neck or whatever it is. Totally agree. Well, thank you so much for your time, Gabby. It's been awesome speaking with you and learning more about you and your teachings. Where can everyone find you if they want to connect on social media? I'm at Gabby Bernstein. And I have a podcast called Dear Gabby, which is, you know, I was, I was like very, um, uh, boldly chiming my coaching in today. <laughs> um, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm at heart a, uh, a, 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 a sort of a, a fixer. And I, I really just love meeting people in their stuff and just supporting them in, in reorganizing you know, and I think that we all have such a great capacity to feel so free in life. And I want that for everyone.